Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Hi, and welcome to the Safer Chemicals Podcast. I am Päivi Jokiniemi, your host. In this episode, I speak with two experts from the European Chemicals Agency about a recent study run by the EU Observatory for Nanomaterials. The study looked at product life cycles, waste recycling, and the circular economy for nanomaterials. Its findings show that we don't currently have a full picture of how nanomaterials in products, and consequently in waste streams, may impact our health or the environment. These knowledge gaps make it difficult to know how to recycle, treat or dispose nanomaterials efficiently once products containing them are no longer used and become waste. Abdel Sumrain, the product manager for the EU Observatory for Nanomaterials, and Gary Watkins, working as a regulatory officer in the Support and Enforcement Unit, will be discussing ECHA's view on the study results and what more can be done to improve information on nanomaterials in waste streams. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's get started. Gary and Abdel, thanks for joining the Safer Chemicals podcast. Let's get straight to the point. What do we know about nanomaterials on the EU market and in our waste streams? Hello, Peggy, first of all, and hello to everyone who's listening in here. Yeah, uh, I think the first thing we should get started with is uh, the information coming to us from the REACH regulation. So uh, we know that the REACH regulation was changed and since January 1st of 2020, so about uh, two years now, people have had to, companies have had to submit information uh, about nanomaterials in their registration dossiers. And what we've seen in the past uh, couple of years is that uh, uh, companies have submitted uh, registrations for around 130 substances. And this is covering uh, around 440 different registrations to date. And each one of those registrations can cover potentially one or more different nanoforms. So already you see there's a a number of registrations that have come in and each registration has to have data in there about uh, the hazard properties of the substance, the toxicology, the ecotoxicology. And what we're expecting is that more and more registrations will continue to come in in the future. And then with the uh, uh, regulatory activities that ECHA has, more and more data will also come in from companies as they have to comply with the regulation. So already we see that um, a lot of uh, registrations have come in and more will come in and that those will bring data with them. Now, uh, the one thing here is that uh, when companies register their nanoforms, uh, they're registering it together with uh, what is called the bulk substance, so the non-nanoform of the same substance. Um, And they have to submit information on both, so on the hazard of the nanoform and the non-nanoform. But the one thing to to keep note is that the tonnage there, so when when companies are reporting on their volume of their nanoforms, they're actually reporting on the volume of the entire substance. 
So the data there is combined and we don't know what is the volume of the nanoform versus the volume of the bulk form, but this is how the uh, regulation was designed. As a starting point, the picture is positive in the sense that we have a regulation that requires information and information now will uh, continue to come in. Now, on the other hand, if we're talking about information about products themselves, so consumer products, um, the information about consumer products and nanomaterials in them um, is a bit more limited. So there are some databases out there uh, like the uh, nanodata, the SEN, the CPI databases that do give some information about these, uh, but they're not giving quantitative information. So you might know um, a particular product has a nanoform, but you don't know exactly the volume of it on the market. Uh, one thing that I it is important to point out is that this is similar for uh, to the situation for chemicals in general. So the REACH regulation brings in data about the hazards of chemicals, but you don't necessarily know which individual products contain which chemicals and in what uh, quantities. Yeah, thanks, Abdul. Yeah, this this lack of um, quantitative data about uh, nanomaterials uh, on the on the market and therefore in uh, consumer products, um, which of course eventually become waste. This this complicates the identification of uh, the predominant waste streams containing these uh, sort of these these nanomaterials. Um, but it, of course, here this is not uh, it's not unique um, since um, obtaining accurate statistics on all waste streams in general. You know, it's it's always been a, it's always been an issue for society. So in that respect, um, the nanomaterial dimension is is no different here. Research suggests that um, nanomaterials could be present in all major sources of waste generated in the EU. So here we're talking about things like uh, construction, demolition waste, manufacturing waste, of course, municipal solid wastes, the sort of waste that we produce at home or from commerce, in wastewaters, and in also and also the the treatment residues and, and the byproducts that arise from those sort of treatment processes. However, um, the the research that's, that's available. To, to us um, only provides a, a qualitative um, view or qualitative data about the presence of these materials, um, and so it 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 doesn't give uh, it, by, it doesn't give an accurate quantitative evaluation on the on their presence and, and concentration. Thanks both. Um, but why is it then important to know if a product that reaches the end of its life cycle contains nanomaterials? And uh, what difference does the quantity make when it comes to treating them in the waste stage? Uh, right now, um, the hazards of, of nanoforms um, of substances are not necessarily going to be different or higher compared to the non-nanoforms. Um, so uh, it is not necessarily going to be you know, required that we distinguish whether the waste itself contains a nanoform of the substance or not for the purpose of, of treating the waste in a safe uh, manner. But if we are in the situation where we have the nanoform or the nanomaterial of that substance having a specific hazard that's different from uh, the, the non-nanoform of the substance, then it might be uh, important and useful to know uh, the volume um, of the nanoform and the, the waste streams that relate to it um, for uh, the reason of 
uh, you know, determining what's the best waste management uh, option for that stream. Uh, but that that really depends on um, what information um, there is on the hazard of the substance. So, like I said, if if the ha there's no differences in the hazard, then you might not necessarily uh, need to know whether the volumes pertain to the nanoform or to the non-nanoform. Yep. That, thanks. Thanks, Abdul. Sure, I mean, the, the types of waste streams in which nanomaterials are found um, will determine the, the waste management or treatment options available for, for that stream. Um, and some of these streams require mechanical or manual activities to be applied, such as handling, grinding, cleaning, finishing, transferring, those sort of activities, uh, which are likely to lead to exposure to airborne nanomaterials. But again, the, the, the exposure itself to nanomaterials uh, doesn't mean that there is going to be a, a, a different hazard compared to the exposure to the non-nanomaterial uh, of, of that same substance. Then the study also talks about waste treatment for those products that we know contain nanomaterials. Are there efficient means there to extract these um, nanomaterials from the products? Yeah, it's it's important to get one thing straight here, and that's that uh, when we're talking about recycling within the circular economy uh, idea, uh, this is in the context of recycling waste types and components of bulk waste streams, and not we're not talking here about recycling specific nanomaterials themselves uh, from the waste. Um, so we're not talking about nanos that may be contained within a bulk stream. So that's an important clarification to make here. But in terms of the uh, treatment efficiencies, um, several of the case studies that were covered in the study on um, real incineration plants, for example, and experiments that uh, simulated incineration showed very high efficiency, close to 100% um, reported in some studies. Uh, high efficiency of things such as uh, bag filters in preventing nanomaterial emission to air. Uh, similarly, it found a high efficiency of uh, removal of nanoparticles in uh, wastewater treatment systems. However, uh, in the case of um, landfilling, the efficiency of landfilling systems has not been systematically addressed. If we then speak in very concrete terms um, about consumers, for example, so should consumers be worried about nanomaterials in products they buy and um, how should these products be disposed of? I always like to to start out whenever I'm talking about uh, nanomaterials with with reminding people that that the term nano or nanomaterial does, is not synonymous with dangerous or hazardous. What it really means is that you have uh, very small particles and they meet a certain size uh, definition. But the fact that it is uh, small doesn't make it necessarily a, a cause of concern for the consumers. So uh, as such, I don't think that consumers should be worried uh, if a product contains uh, nanomaterials any more uh, than uh, they would be uh, uh, concerned for a product containing, you know, any other uh, chemical. Now, we do know that the REACH regulation has been amended to make sure that companies have an obligation to provide information on their nanoforms that they are manufacturing. Um, so that you know, we as a society, regulators, industry can make sure that that uh, these chemicals are used, let's say, in a safe uh, manner. So, um, if we're talking about uh, 
how consumers should approach uh, such products. They, I think they should approach them in the same manner that they would approach uh, any uh, other product. They should, of course, try to uh, follow any, uh, you know, any relevant instructions on the label of the product. Um, they should uh, dispose of things safely, try to recycle uh, their products as with on any other uh, product that they have. But there isn't a requirement or a need to handle uh, products that have nanomaterials differently than they would handle a, a regular uh, product, let's say. And uh, turning to the, the waste disposal dimension now. Uh, sure, despite the deficiencies in the quantification of nanomaterials in waste, um, the current Public information sources, they, they do still provide valuable information to waste managers so that they can determine the composition of, of waste and its um, classification so that they can fulfill the, their obligations under EU waste legislation. Um, and these sources of information are also widely used by scientists to make es estimations of mass flows of these materials to waste management facilities and, and their fate in the environment. Um, and some of these mass flow models can support uh, regulatory decision making in safety assessment. Very interesting. Thank you very much. Um, then over to something a bit different. You, Gary, already briefly mentioned circular economy. If we talk about recycling and reuse, those are the terms that we very closely link to the aims of, of circular economy. What role do nanomaterials play in circular economy? The study identified several uh, areas of research where it was envisioned that uh, nanos could contribute to circular economy. And these covered things like uh, green synthesis of biomaterials, for example, from bio waste, and the use of nano additives in recycling of plastics or construction demolition waste. Also, the uh, recovery of rare earth elements from waste and the use of nanos in wastewater treatment systems. Other applications that have been identified are nano remediation of contaminated land. However, the circularity of, of these solutions um, in, the, in the literature is, is, uh, is, is questionable, I would say, um, and the research at the moment is purely theoretical. Most of the case studies that um, were looked at focused on investigating specific uh, nanomaterials and uh, looking at specific um, methods for nanomaterial applications. The application of these approaches is, uh, has not been looked at in terms of the commercial viability or any evaluation of their uh, safety has, has been undertaken. So more uh, more research needed also also yes. there in the future. Um, the study also highlights otherwise that there is a need to collect more scientifically valid information about nanomaterials and their safety during the life cycle of of products. How should we go about this? What's your what's your view? Who should be carrying out these studies and and how does this differ from the situation for chemicals in, in general? That's a good question. Um, it's important at this stage to highlight the fact that this publication is very much a baseline report describing the, the state of play and, and the knowledge gaps, if you like. In that respect, it can act as a, a stepping stone towards defining the scope of future investigations, um, which uh, can be carried out by other other players, commercial, institutional, or, or regulatory. As for who who should be carrying out these studies, I mean, um, some of those studies maybe will need to be generated from uh, the regulatory processes that we have. So, um, I talked earlier about the changes to the REACH regulation. Uh, basically, that means that 
companies do have an obligation to submit information at least about the uh, toxicology, ecotoxicology of these uh, substances that they're putting on the market. There, they, they will have to generate uh, and do the studies that they need to, to fulfill their obligations. Um, and then where uh, ECA or other authorities will notice that, you know, some of those data are missing or inadequate, then we may send decisions saying that um, they need to generate uh, more data. So that will at least uh, address uh, important information about the safety of these uh, uh, nanomaterials. Then it's also uh, uh, possible, even likely, that that some of the uh, answers to these questions, some of the data needed, will be also generated from uh, research projects, people in academia working, um, EU funding, uh, all kinds of uh, research projects, and that that will probably address also some of the questions that are uh, are coming. Uh, but it's important to to keep in mind that now now that we have a change to the regulation, there really is an obligation uh, for companies to submit uh, submit the data to comply with that uh, regulation. Thank you, Gary and Abdel, for this interesting discussion, and also to you, our listeners, for tuning in. We will continue following this topic, see how the work develops, and keep you informed. If you are interested in the study, you can now find it on the EUN website at euon.eka.europa.eu. And you can find us on all your favorite podcast channels. So remember to subscribe at eka.europa.eu forward slash podcasts. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.